People of God, we look together in God's word, his infallible, inerrant, holy, unchangeable word in Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. People of God, hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, we ha- what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men... I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, what the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, people of God, that word from God's word that focuses on the gospel to the churches. Uh, In this context, it says the churches of Galatia. And we would ask this question, are we one of those churches? Is this the gospel that, uh, and is this the word that we would say, yes, we are a church that stands alongside of the church of Galatia, the, the churches of Galatia. This sets before us what the nature of a true and faithful church is, as God's word consistently declares. What is a true believer? What is a true church? What is it that ought to bind churches like the churches of the Galatia region? What is it that binds us together? What are the fundamental principles that you look at when you look and say, is this a faithful church? And one of the most basic and fundamental questions that is asked is what is brought to the forefront in this text. And that is, what does the church confess concerning the Word of God? What is its convictions about the Bible? 
a number of years now, those convictions drove a large, a, a significant number of people and local congregations to say, we cannot be associated with those who have compromised fundamentally and first of all, the authority of the Word of God. Changing the Word of God. And that ought not to surprise us that may happen. Because Paul is saying in the context of declaring God's grace and mercy and the first thing that he brings up to the churches of the Galatians is I marvel you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So you're when you stray from in when you get a different gospel you're straying from Jesus Christ it's not just say well there's some doctrines involved here no there's a person involved and that person is Jesus Christ it is a fundamental question because the fact is is that there are many churches that declare themselves Christian and have the word Christian in them and there are schools that have the word Christian in them and they are not Christian. They are not faithful to the gospel of Christ that was once delivered. They do not have confidence in that gospel. They compromise that gospel and they change that gospel thinking that it is more appropriate for the present day than it was in the past. It is it needs to change in order to keep up with the changing world, which is exactly the opposite of what we ought to be thinking. Do not be fooled. Many will say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but they deny the Bible as the Word of God. I was preparing for this sermon uh, and just recently, and I had a question about uh, the nature of the word Galatia and exactly what that was a reference to. So I looked up online and I typed in Galatia. And there was like 15 things that popped up at me. You know, you know, if you do those internet searches. And the vast majority uh, was referencing the book of Galatians, not the region of Galatia. And when they popped, when they came up, there was one name that dominated the whole thing. And there was one perspective that was propagated. It was called the new perspective on Paul, although one of the five-minute videos that I looked with this man, it's the first time I ever actually listened to him directly, uh, he mentioned how in the last ten years, and I don't know when he made this, this recording, in the last 10 years, he had come to a conclusion that his previous emphasis on what the gospel was in Galatians was wrong, and he has changed it from then, and his overall theological perspective has been called the new perspective on Paul, but now there's a new, new perspective on Paul because he had to refine it in the, in the 10 years since he had first declared it. And so now we got a new, new perspective, I guess. And so 
um, one wonders how quickly we can change the gospel that was once delivered. And this is one of the most dominant teachers on what faith and the gospel is today on the internet and also in many false seminaries. People of God, uh, it is without doubt we live in a time when the gospel is perverted regularly, consistently, and without any shame at all. So what is this gospel? What is this gospel? Well, the gospel, as I mentioned to you, as we were worshiping and as we were declaring the great works of our God and the words of the Apostles' Creed, that that could be looked at as a summary of the gospel. The gospel is the revelation of God's word in good news, literally, gospel, good news. And that gospel that is declared is is the truth about God's saving work in the life of his people, the elect from the beginning of the human race until the time that Christ returns. It is the gospel. It is that which results in grace and peace flowing to us from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that good news in verse 4 that Christ gave himself for our sins. It is over and over in God's word focused on the the work of God's, God's saving work through Jesus Christ. The resurrection is mentioned in verse 1. Jesus given by the Father to the churches for our sins, verse 4. According to the will of the Father. Uh, Jesus delivers us from this present age, evil age. This is part of the gospel. It is given by grace in verse 6. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, in some of the uh, different places is one place that uh, can one might say, well, here is the good news summarized because people of God, in one sense, the whole of the Bible is the gospel, is the good news of God's saving work in redemptive history from the beginning of time until the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ. And that gives us a picture of what God is doing from then until now, until Christ returns and then for all of eternity. It is all a part of the good news. But Galatians 3, uh, beginning with uh, verse 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, this absolute moral standard of God. There is a standard. And if we do not follow that standard, and we know that no one does, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then we are under the curse. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, 
That is, it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. How many more texts can we find uh, the truth of the gospel? I've preached a series of sermons on Galatians 4 uh, in, in just these words. Now I say the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ for at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by his father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. And then these great summary of the gospel... And these are only summaries. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Good news. God is our Father. The Spirit is indwelling us. Christ has saved us. God has sent forth his son. There is salvation. And so we have all these different words, different ways in in which we can summarize the gospel. I oftentimes have said the the five points of Calvinism uh, known uh, are a summary of the gospel. That uh, we uh, were only Our only hope is in the unconditional election of God. And that that unconditional election has come uh, through the saving work of Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross for those that were chosen before before time began. So unconditional election and then limited or particular atonement. Because we were totally depraved. And that was our only hope of salvation. And the Spirit so works that we are irresistibly drawn. And then because of the Spirit's work, by faith profess our absolute confidence and our hope and our reliance upon Jesus Christ as our Savior. And God is faithful and preserves us. And so we persevere to the end, this gospel. Now, Paul declares that the origin of this gospel, its origin is the revelation by the, it has been revealed to the apostle Paul directly from God. That's the origin. And so he will emphasize this, that that he has been given as an apostle, Direct revelation concerning the fundamental truths of the gospel. Now, that would be fundamental truths like the book of Romans. And Paul has been given this directly. He wasn't taught this by, by Jesus when he was walking with him. It was through direct revelation. And that revelation is even continuing in the book of Galatians, isn't it? That this is direct revelation. 
Verse 12, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we see that this revelation that God gave the Apostle Paul in this special, direct way is totally consistent with all that he gives in that direct, special revelation to those who had walked with Jesus for three years instead of opposed him at the time like Paul did. And those revelations are totally consistent together with one another, whether it's the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew or whether it's Romans or whether it's Hebrews. All of this revelation is consistent together. And it is based on apostolic direct revelation. That's what he says. It's not from man. But we could say the same thing about for instance, we could say the same thing about Peter and, and Peter's revelation to us and John and John's revelation. It is not from man, but from God, because it was that unique revelation and no one, no pastor has that, no elder has that, no individual has that, though many claim to continue to have that. Because the apostolic revelation that must never be changed can't be changed by some next generation of apostles because there is no next generation of apostles. They were part of the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians uh, chapter 2 is one that so clearly points out the apostolic authority of the word of God which no other one can have and that was for a time and then no longer would be that case. There's, there's no longer apostles. There's no longer direct revelation. We don't add to the Bible any longer because the apostolic moment is finished. But Ephesians 2 verses 19 and following gives us that foundational aspect. And this is this is what is critically important when you think and you, and you discern and you discuss what the nature of a true church is. It's a church that believes in the apostolic revelation of the gospel that is unchanging. Now, therefore, verse 19, Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It is an apostolic foundation with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Or Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the same kind of theme. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by every part does it share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love. The apostolic foundation. 
God, we were gifted with the apostles and the prophets. And people of God, that unique nature of the revelation found in the New Testament, uh, Peter testifies concerning Paul. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16, I find one of the most striking uh, declarations concerning the authority of the New Testament uh, canon, uh, the, the epistles of Paul, Peter, John, as apostles. You see it in this declaration, even though Paul wasn't that right, technically walking with Jesus, the, uh, Peter and the other apostles recognized him as a fellow apostle, uh, as it were, born out of step and yet a true apostle. And so Peter will testify concerning uh, the nature of Paul's epistles, Paul's writings in these verses, 15 and 16. And consider that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. The rest of Scripture. The only words that you describe as Scripture are, is the Bible. And the Old Testament was seen as the Scriptures over and over. The Scripture. And no one ought to just come around and do some writing and said, this is the Scripture. But Peter recognizes that Paul writes some things that are kind of hard and some people twist it to their own destruction as they do all kinds of other scripture, other scripture. So Peter is testifying that Paul's writings are the holy word of God, scripture, unchanging, authoritative, true, inerrant, infallible. And that's why Paul sets before us the nature of that unchanging word himself. As he says, if an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. This is the message to the churches, the called out ones. As we saw this morning, part of that nature of being called, you know, the called ones, called out of the world, out of enslavement to sin, out of enslavement to the devil, out of the curse, into the blessing, called out of lies and into the truth, called out of the world and into the church, called out of being those who are in rebellion to God to becoming the people of God. And so the word comes to the churches of Galatia, a group of churches 
a group of churches in a particular region. Uh, almost certainly uh, the province of Galatia that the Romans had established. Uh, the, the churches of Galatia, like the churches of Kent County or the United Reformed Churches, which is a, another a declaration that the word of God recognizes the importance of the local congregation so that even in the context of a region, it's talking about the churches in that region. Not just that there is a church in the region, but that there are churches, local congregations, specific manifestations of the work of God in, in a region. And so that we come together in a church which also people of God points out that we talked about how uh, it's important to test a church. Well, the church is important if you have to test it. I talked to a young woman about a year ago, and she said, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a member, and I don't attend a church. Uh, that's not so important. And I said to her, why do you think that God wrote most, almost all of the New Testament or, or much of the New Testament to churches? But you don't need them. But the word came to churches. Of course the church is important. He is writing to the people of God in the context of local congregations. And it's those local congregations that then then confess and testify concerning uh, the, the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. And, and we ought not ever stray from that truth. We cannot change it. We need to hear that warning from Paul that just as the churches in Galatia heard that warning, do not change the gospel. Do not change the truth of God's word. And now, people of God, we have the the whole of Scripture, of which the Church of Galatia didn't have. We have the completed canon, the completed revelation of God's Word by the apostles. And we need to continue to testify about the inerrancy and the authority and the absolute importance of the Word of God as the Word of God. And so we testify to our world concerning the importance of the Bible. And we, tre <clears throat> we treasure it. It is that which is, is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. But one of the important things, people of God, is to know that the gospel comes and it has its authority and its uh, truthfulness extends to every single aspect of the reality in which we experience. And we cannot limit and say, well, the gospel is that, you know, kind of that, that spiritual, mystical reality that we have with God, and that's the gospel, and that's what's true in the Bible, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just not true in the Bible. You know, the... the they redefine gospel as something that, that fits into a little tiny corner and that is only true for some of the Bible. And then they say, the Bible isn't true in everything it says. But if the Bible isn't true in everything it says, why in the world would we know it was true 
in the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel and the truth of God's word concerning the nature of our salvation involves all of the things that we experience. There are different the extent and uh, the extent of the authority of God's word extends to everything that it says. And is that important? Is it important that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia instead of the churches in Jerusalem? Does that make any difference at all? Is it important that uh, Paul wrote to the church of Rome instead of the church of Jerusalem? Well, Of course it's important. Is it important that Jesus died in Jerusalem? Or could it have been South Africa? No difference? Does it make any difference? Of course it makes a difference. The truth of where Jesus died, the geographic truth, the truth of the geography, is integrally connected with the message of the gospel. Even as we anticipate the fullness of that geographic revelation in the future when the whole world becomes that new heaven and new earth that is under the absolute reign of God in which God's people will live and enjoy the glory of God and his presence for all of eternity. Take out geography and you take out an understanding of the depth of God's revelation. And so it makes a difference. And the history, every point of history is important. We didn't go on to read how Paul was backing up the declaration that he was not taught by men. In other words, it wasn't Primarily, it wasn't Peter and it wasn't John that taught Paul the fundamentals of the gospel. No, if you read the next verses, it talks about how he, uh, he, he went and he, he lived in different places and he was three, and, and after three years he went to Jerusalem and, and then he went to the regions. And afterwards I went into the regions, verse 21, Syria and Cilicia. If you do the math, you'll find out that Paul spent some 20 years after his conversion before he had a public ministry, a, a real public. Now, he started right away in, a, in, in, in Damascus and then Jerusalem, but very quickly, they, they sent him away. And for many years, he was not he, the apostle. He, he grew and he, and he came to, and, he was re, and the truth was revealed to him as an apostle. And then he became a very public ministry. But it wasn't right away. And so the geography connects to the reality that he wasn't taught by men. It all connects. There, the nature and extent of the truth of God's word is critically important. The Bible speaks to us personally. It speaks to us about specific persons like Paul and David and Moses and Adam. And if it's not true in those things, why would it be true if it spoke to us in about Jesus? 
all the historical elements of the scripture ultimately tie to the gospel that Jesus died in history. That he's the savior who lived in history. And so there are over and over historical elements to the, it's absolutely essential that the truth of God's word be seen in its historical declarations. We can't just say, well, those aren't important. As some would say that the, the Bible is like it has, it's like corn. It has, uh, it has a lot of husk and then it has some kernels. The kernels are important, but everything else can go by the wayside. Not so, people of God. That's changing the gospel. That's changing the nature of the word of God. That's abandoning who God is, what redemptive history is, who Jesus is. It's all tied together. And so when the Bible speaks in terms of right and wrong, the wrong of changing the gospel, do not change the gospel. We see the command clearly here. Or we could say, well, the Bible's only interested in telling us about you know, how great Jesus is and we don't need to hear anything that tells us what we have to believe or how we ought to live in response to what God has done for us. Of course it does. Ethic, all ethical matters in the Bible are critical for our understanding of, of the nature of the gospel. If we never knew the law, we would not know we were sinners. We could not be saved. It's all important. The eschatological. If we can't trust the Bible and what it talks to, to us about history, Paul was an apostle. There were churches in Galatia. Jesus died, in, died on Golgotha as he was tried in Jerusalem. If we can't understand, if, we can't, if the history of God's word isn't reliable, how would we ever understand the future? The future. Because the gospel has good news that we are saved from this present evil world and, and that the shakable things of the present are, there is a guarantee of the unshakable in the future. And it's an eternal future. And we have absolute confidence that the word of God is true in the present and everything it said about history is true. And what it says about the present time between the first and second coming of Christ is true. And what it says about the future when Jesus returns is absolutely reliable. Because every aspect of the word is reliable. At Bethany we have a document called Our Testimony. And that Our Testimony summarizes these things in this way, the scripture's authority extends to all that it teaches. The careful study of scripture is important. But the scripture's primary subject is the message of redemption of sin through Jesus Christ. But all scripture's subject, mat all scripture's subject matter is God's word and always true. When scripture speaks to matters of history, science, ethics or anything else, it is truth. And authoritative. And it governs our thinking in these areas. How do you view the Bible? 
How are you looking at it for the good news of salvation that affects our entire lives and everything the scripture says is true and is beneficial? Its authority extends to every aspect of its teaching because it's all connected to the gospel. And so, people of God, are you confident of the word? Do you rejoice in apostolic authority? Are you thankful for a church that holds true and holds dear the word of God? Is it a blessing to you? Is the word that which nourishes and refreshes you? This is one of the absolute essentials when it comes to understanding a faithful church. And what churches we can unite together in, work together in terms of mission work, and testifying to our world, which is so lost, and, and being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, we can have a confidence that there are churches that hold fast to the truth of the gospel, which cannot be changed, which must not be changed. But then Paul says, really can't be. It really can't be. Because what man can change the truth of the word of God? So rest in that truth. Rejoice in that truth. Glory in the gospel given to the churches. And find there the words of life that point us to Jesus. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that convicts us that your word is true. We thank you, O God, for the blessing that that word is so that we are not tossed to and fro. We thank you, Father, for churches and and members and, and believers that hold fast to the word of God. Keep us in that word. Remind us, O God, of the importance of your word. And, O Lord, help us never to stray from it, but to be faithful to it. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.